If you want to open your Bible to John chapter 17, this is where we have set up camp for our prayer meeting for the foreseeable future. Um, This is uh, what has often been called the Holy of Holies of the Gospel of John, because this is where we we get to gaze and listen in, not not just see Jesus as praying, which we see everywhere, but to listen, to hear the content of his prayer and how he's praying. And so uh, this is a wonderful place for us just to spend some time uh, to take our cues for prayer from Jesus Christ himself. So what we've been looking at thus far in John chapter 17, uh, we might be able to call just a framework of the Christian life. Um, John 17 is really giving us not only the, the prayer of Christ to his Father, the intimacy of communion there, but it's also uh, maybe a framework of the Christian life. But we're, we're hearing the Father and the Son discuss, if you will, um, their eternal plans and purposes and why and why Christ has come and what he's seeking to accomplish. And as Christ is seeking the glory that he once had from the Father as he goes to the cross to fulfill these things, uh, you can almost hear just a sense of a finality, of completion, at least for this phase of it. We've seen how Jesus explains in this prayer, in those first five verses, his relationship with the Father, that all that he's come to do, all that he's done throughout that's been recorded in the Gospels for us, he's done for a particular reason. It's been for the Father. It's been because the Father sent him to do these things. And he's accomplished them one by one. Um, He has executed all of God's eternal plans and purposes for him in his life and ministry on earth. And so, I mean, that's foundational. All of life is about the Father's eternal plans and purposes. That's a foundational truth for us as Christians. Our lives are not our own. What we experience day in and day out is not just chance random events. Uh, It can be said rightly. Everything you come in contact with, you do on a daily basis, everything that occurs in your life is ordained by a sovereign God, not just on a whim, not just, I think today I'm going to do this, but in eternity past. Every day, every event, every activity, the timing of it, the place of it, the people around you, the number of hairs on your head when it occurs, the age you are when it occurs, it's all God's purposes for his glory. We've noticed how Jesus describes not only his relationship with the Father, which provides a framework for all of life, we've also seen how Christ describes eternal life in verses 1 through 5 of John 17. And this is eternal life. What does he say in verse 3? You have your Bibles open. What does it say in verse 3? They know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent, who was sent from the Father. So eternal life is about an intimate communion, an intimate fellowship, relationship with the Godhead. And it doesn't come about because of anything good in you or I. It's not because of anything in us. This eternal life, this eternal relationship with God has its foundation in God. Skip down to verse 6, which we're going to be looking at in just a moment. Jesus says to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people. And what's that next phrase? Whom you gave me out of the world. I have manifested your name to a very specific people. A people you gave me. It's not everybody but the ones you gave me. And these people who now know you and now have a relationship with me, the foundation for that is not them. It's you. You gave them to me. And do you hear that? Do you, hear the, do you feel the weight and gravity of that? We're here this morning to commune with the living God, and it's not because of anything good in us. 
as the cars are driving past us this afternoon, we're here, they're out there. We're not better than them. We're not, we're, we are not more righteous or more religious. We're in here during the prayer time, and they're out there driving by, skipping these things. It's not because we're better. It's because of the work of the Father through the Son. God, the Father, gave the Son a people, and by God's grace, it includes us, and purchased us through the life, death, resurrection, and the exaltation of Christ. We're here today as beneficiaries of what God has accomplished through Christ. The very act of prayer that we're about to engage in is because Christ purchased this for us. This is a gift. This is a privilege. This is a joy. We've been given to the Father for this relationship. Prayer is not a spiritual discipline that we should do. It is the very life of what it means to be a Christian. God has given us to himself at the cost of Christ to commune and fellowship with him because this is eternal life, that they know you and the one true son whom you have sent, the one true God and the son whom you have sent. Uh, this morning we're going to be focusing upon verse 6 in our time of prayer. We've read the entirety of John 17. I'm not going to, ta- uh, I'm not going to take the time to do it this morning. But we have seen this prayer between the Father and the Son. And this morning, we, you may mark, see in your Bible, there's a paragraph indention. It's marking a, a transition. It's still the prayer of the, Father to the, uh, the Son to the Father. But here, over the course of the next few verses, it's almost as though Jesus is laying out for his Father, this is what you have done. This is what you have created for yourself. So verses 1 through 5 are, for your glory, glorify me that I may glorify you. And that together we may glorify you. And, and then beginning in verse 6, there's almost a transition here where Christ is just amazing and, and rehearsing uh, the work of the Father in the life of a believer. This is what a Christian is, we might say. And that's kind of at least how we'll frame these next few verses over the course of the next few weeks. Look at verse 6 with me together as we come together for prayer. We, we're spending time in the text before we pray because why? We're not praying our own prayers this morning. We come together to pray with one accord. How does Scripture help do that for us? Look at verse 6. I have manifested your name, Jesus says, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. There's a number of aspects we could look at there, and we will over the course of a couple weeks. What I want to draw your attention to this morning, what is, it, what is Jesus telling us a Christian is? First and foremost, the first phrase of verse 6. It's someone to whom Christ has manifested the name of God to the people to whom God has given the Son. Are you following that? This is fundamentally what a Christian is. Someone to whom the character of God has been revealed. Now, we need to clarify that for just very quickly. We're not referring to some kind of mystical revelation that occurs outside of Scripture. Uh, Yes, it is true, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Yes, it's clear you can walk out at the park or walk out on a bright sunny day. You can look up and you can see the glory of God on display. That is clear. That is true. But that's what we call general revelation. That revelation is available to anyone and everywhere at every time. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. There is enough revelation out there that even the one, that anyone who has not heard the name of Jesus 
will be held accountable and will be sent into judgment because they refused the revelation that was there. General revelation. The skies proclaim his handiwork. The beauty, the majesty of creation, it had to have come from a creator. That is available to everyone. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here, Jesus says, I manifested your name to the people. The idea of manifest is to, to make clear, to, to make it obvious, to take something that's not obvious, to take something that's maybe hidden and to bring it out so that it's clear, so that you know not just in a general sense there is a God, but to, for this God's character to be manifested, to you know, now this God is holy, eternal, just, loving, merciful, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and so on and so forth. Do you see the difference? Jesus says, I came not to let people know there's a God. Creation does that. I came to manifest your name. Throughout the Old Testament, people get names, all right? I mean, everyone's a name. But in the Old Testament, the names are based on certain features, characteristics, attributes. How often do we come upon a prophet and his name means the Lord saves? And then you read the prophet's book and what? It's all about the salvation that the Lord brings. Well, Christ came to clarify, to reveal, to make clear the character of God revealed in his name. Jesus says, that's what I did. And these are those you gave to me. I, I fulfilled that. I revealed your name to them. And Christ continues that work to this day in the life of a believer. Now, Christ has gone on to the right hand of the Father, but in John 12, 13, 14, 15, he's introducing the disciples to the fact that he's about to leave, but he's going to send his spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ, into the world to continue the work that he has done. And so in a very real sense, Christ continues to manifest the name of God to those that the Father gave to him. But he does it not just individually as the God-man, but he does it now through the Holy Spirit of Christ, who has revealed the nature of God in the face of Jesus Christ propositionally in a book. This is the place now where Christ makes the glory of the Father known. It's right here in a book. When you read the Bible, you're being introduced, reintroduced, you're growing in your knowledge of who God is. Not just that there is a God. Everyone's accountable to that. But who this God is. What we understand of God in the New Testament, through Christ, through the Spirit of Christ, has its beginnings all the way in the Old Testament. This book is not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about how to navigate marriage or politics or what the future holds for our nation it's just not about any of that it is about God it is the revelation of God if you read this book trying to figure your life out you're 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 handling this wrong that's not what this book is about it's about God who he is and what he has done through his son Jesus in transforming a people for himself to live unto him, to worship him. How do we worship him? You cling to him here. That's what Jesus says here in verse 6. This is what the Christian is. Someone who knows God. Not that there is a God, but they know who God is. They were once walking along with a mindset just like the world. There is a God, but I don't want him. I have no interest in him. I have no desire for him. He's a nuisance to me. 
I don't like him telling me how to live. And then suddenly, by the grace of God, the Spirit of Christ comes and God's character begins to inform our thinking more. Now this God that once was just out there and didn't really care for, now all of a sudden we're aroused to see his holiness, to see his righteousness, to see his majesty, his beauty, his purity, his worth. And Scripture says that when you see those things rightly, there's something else you're going to see rightly. A right view of God is going to lead to a right view of what? Yourself. God's holy? I'm not. God's righteous? I'm not. God's beautiful? I'm not. And the gap between the two is insurmountable. What Jesus here is getting at, when God by grace introduces a soul to who he is, his character, his attributes, that person's never the same. That person, because a right view of God leads to a right view of self, finds himself hopeless, in despair. And there's only one place to go. The scripture through, from where we find Christ tells us to do what with that? To flee to who? To flee to Christ. That's the work of God in the life of a soul. To see God, to know him. The Christian life is a right relationship with him, but I can't flee to Christ for mercy. The Christian is one for whom God is all. He abandons self-righteousness. He abandons uh, his own efforts. He, he abandons handling the Bible as though it's about him. Now all of life, by God's grace, is about God. And the agenda of the soul is to know God, not academically, but to know him intimately because this is eternal life to know God and the son whom you have sent. This is a Christian. Can we say this about us this morning? Don't be quick to answer that. I'm not going to be quick to answer that. Can we say this is us? That we've experienced this transition from a thinking about God like the world does to knowing God, to treasuring him, to loving him for who he is, and a desire to know him intimately and personally, a growing sense of worship, a growing sense of reverence and awe, a growing sense of gratitude because we recognize that the only reason I think these thoughts about God is because he has opened my eyes to see them. Christ has opened my eyes to see them. So this is the first thing John, Jesus says to, to the Father. This is what a Christian is. As someone who knows you, not about you, knows you intimately, personally, daily, through the revealing work of the Spirit. 